you will this morning, take your Bibles out. If you do not have a Bible, I encourage you to get one of the Pew Bibles. And I would like for you to keep your finger at a couple of passages that we will be focusing on during our lesson. We will focus on Matthew chapter 18, and we will focus on Luke chapter 17. And these two are parallel passages, even though they express the meaning in somewhat different words, but still with the same thoughts. I'd like to begin the lesson by asking some penetrating questions for us to focus our minds on the thoughts of, Lord, help me learn to forgive. How many of us have offended not only God, but our fellow man? All of us. How many of us are offended, that is, sinned against, by our fellow man? Again, I would say, if not all, just about all of us. How do we often handle these offenses? What do we say? What do we do? How do we react when someone sins against us? What does the Lord say? And how does that affect what we do? If the Lord says we are to do something in a certain way, and we do not do it, does that not suggest that we don't trust God? If God tells us to do something a certain way, does that mean that we have to do it that way? I want us to look at four things that are found in these two passages of Scripture. The first one is going to be that of responsibility. Who is responsible for sin? Number two, I want us to look at resolution. How do we resolve the issues where one has sinned against another? Number three, I want us to look at repentance. How does repentance factor in to the forgiveness that should be and must be extended? And then number four, to look at some reciprocity. And so if you will, for just a few moments, let's take some time to explore these ideas. When sin occurs, who is responsible? I know that almost appears to be too simplistic, too basic, but reality says that when somebody sins, somebody's responsible for that. Am I responsible for it? Are you? Who is responsible for sin? Now the reality is, is that God would rather us not sin, but we do sin. I want you for just a moment to look with me at Matthew chapter 18, verse 7. There Matthew records Jesus saying, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Think for just a moment with me about what the Lord just said. The world is plagued with offenses. 
We're not talking about someone saying something and I say, I don't like that. That's not what the word offend means. The word offend means to trip up, to cause someone to stumble, to fall, to sin against that person. Woe to the world because of offenses. They are here everywhere. Occasions of stumbling, occasions of sin. But when he says for offenses must come, that means that this world in which you and I have been born into is plagued with sinners. And we learn that behavior. And we practice that behavior. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, we start seeing it. But now what would God prefer us to do? He'd prefer us to never sin at all. Listen to the way John puts it in 1 John 2 verse 1. My little children... These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What he is suggesting is is that God doesn't want us to sin. But we do. And when we do, we have someone to plead our cause. God wants us to own up to our sin against him. When preparing this, I thought about an illustration back when I was a child. When I was in junior high school, I played basketball. One of the things I learned the hard way was is that when you commit a foul then, it's not that way today, if you committed a foul, you had to raise your hand to acknowledge you're the one who committed that foul. If you did not, you got a technical foul called on you. I felt so awful, that technical foul, because I didn't raise my hand. God wants us to acknowledge the fact that we have done that which is sinful and wrong. Listen to 1 Kings eight forty six. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy... And they take them captive to the land of their enemy, far and near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they are carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, the temple which you have built for your name, then hear from heaven and your dwelling place their prayer. You see, what Solomon is saying is very simple. God wants his people to say, I have sinned. I am responsible. You see, that's that key word, responsibility. I am the one who has sinned. When sin and conflict arises between brethren, at least one and perhaps both have sinned. We do not have a situation where we can say, well, nobody was at fault. I go back to this idea today when fouls are called, nobody has to raise their hand anymore. Nobody has to say, it was me. Nobody wants to take responsibility anymore. But the truth is, when sin occurs, 
There has to be some responsibility taken. I am the offender. I am the guilty one. Taking responsibility is the first step in learning to forgive. Now, folks, I I don't want to bypass that point. Taking responsibility for what I do, for what I have done, is the first step in learning to forgive other people. Let's talk about resolution now for just a few moments. There's a twofold responsibility for resolution. In the Bible, if you'll go with me to Matthew chapter 5, we'll look at verses 23 through 26. When I know that I am at fault, when I know that I have done something to you and sinned against you, I have a responsibility to resolve that. Here's what Jesus said in that great Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar. Go away your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now pause with me for just a moment because that's generally the verses we look at. If you know that you have sinned against your brother, you remember it's in your mind. You know that. God said, before you offer your gift, before you give me any worship, I want you to correct things between you and your brethren. It's your responsibility to do that. Rarely do we go on and read verses 25 and 26, but they're also extremely relevant to this issue. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Agree with your adversary quickly. You have offended that person. You have sinned against that person. God's message is not only should you resolve it, you should resolve it quickly. There are consequences to sinning against somebody. And you will have to pay. I need to take responsibility to resolve what I have done to someone else if I am aware of it. Number two... One who has been sinned against must make the sinner aware of the sin that he has committed. He's to rebuke him. He's to expose him to his sin. I want you to go with me to Matthew 18. Let's begin with verse 15. Go through verse 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear with you, not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. 
But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like the heathen and the tax collector. Now, verse 3 of Luke 17 says, Take heed to yourselves. Notice the period there. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. When he says take heed to yourselves, this is saying this is your responsibility. This is your obligation. Now, why is the one sinned against responsible for making that person aware? Well, I can, I can surmise several possibilities. One may learn that his brother has sinned against him unintentionally. He may not know that he's sinned against you. Have you ever, men, said something and your wife had this angry look on her face and your first question is, what did I do? You hadn't got a clue. You don't know what you said. You don't know what you did. Do you realize that there are times when we do things that affect our brothers and our sisters in Christ and we may be totally oblivious to what we have done? A second thing, the reason why there is an obligation on the one who is offended is because one may learn there things were not as he thought. For instance... In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. You know, as long as we've got it up here in our mind, we can easily spin something to say, he thought this, he did this, and then, you know, you find out when you talk to that person, things are not like you thought they were. There may not have been a sin at all. The person you thought was responsible may not be the one who was responsible. There's a great reason to go between you and him alone. You go and tell somebody else first and then you find out you're wrong. Now you've got something to go clean up and take care of. But under no circumstances is hatred allowed. Back in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 17 you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Folks, when there is someone who has sinned against us, the way to handle it is not to say, I'm just not going to talk to them. Because you will easily develop hatred and malice and evil will within your heart. And so you don't let that become another sin to compound that. So we look, first of all, at responsibility. Then we've looked at resolution about the way God wants it resolved. But now let's talk about repentance for just a moment. In the Bible, forgiveness is conditioned upon repentance. For instance, let's go back to Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. He says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, 
forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you and saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. You see, when we start talking about forgiveness, we not only have to talk about responsibility, we not only have to talk about resolution, but we've got to talk about repentance and how repentance is involved. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. I want to go back to the text that was read for our lesson this morning. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you. I ask you the same question the Lord asked. Which two did the Lord's will? And you say, well, the first one did. What's the difference? He said, I'm not going. But he repented and he went. He had a change of mind that resulted in a change of action. Now how can I know that another has repented? You know, that's really a significant question. Seven times in a day a man says, I repent, you shall forgive him. Well, you're going to see fruits in his life. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, and then Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 and 20, Jesus talked about fruit. John the Baptist said, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Matthew seven sixteen, You will know them by their fruits. Do, not gather, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In verse 20, Therefore by their fruits you shall know them. If a man truly, genuinely repents, there will be fruit of that in his life. But now, folks, here's an important observation. Fruit takes time. Some of you have already begun to plant things in the ground. You're beginning to see some of them just come up out of the ground. And before long, some of them will put on blooms which is a sign saying there's going to be a fruit here. It takes some time, but then the fruit develops. If our brother says to us, I repent, you may not immediately see fruit, but you've got to assume when he tells you, I repent, that he has. But now if I genuinely repent... I am going to correct things as far as I possibly can. I've had people ask me, does repentance require restitution? I want you to listen to Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and let Scripture answer the question. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord, 
by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he is extorted from his neighbor, or if what he has found was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely, if any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, okay, here's what you do, then it shall be, because he has sinned and he's guilty, he shall restore what he has stolen, or the thing which he has extorted, or what he's delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing that he found, or all about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore its full value, add one more fifth to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. You see, if there are things that are wrong, God expects us, insofar as our ability, to make it right. So now I understand responsibility. I understand resolution. And I understand repentance. Now let's talk about reciprocity. That's a big word, but I know that most of us know what it means. For instance, if someone takes you out on an evening and buys you a meal, you say, they were real good to me. I want to reciprocate. I, I want to give them back what they have given to me. The Bible talks about reciprocity in a lot of passages. It's those passages that says, to one another, to one another. You do something for me, I do something for you. It's a matter of giving back. One basic principle of forgiveness is that everyone needs it and everyone must extend it. It's a matter I have been forgiven and I must forgive. Let me give you some biblical proof. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You see, I've got to have the same sort of attitude toward others that God has had toward me. Let's go to this context. Matthew 18, verse 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. God expects every one of us to be as forgiving of our brethren as he is of us. And if we withhold it, God will withhold his forgiveness of us. But I know that everybody somewhere in the back of their mind has to be thinking like Peter. But Lord, let's go back to verses 21 and 22 again. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say unto you up to seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Wow. In a day? You mean you can sin against me seven times in a day? Folks, what do we do about our sinning against the Lord? You ever made a mistake early in the morning and realize I didn't represent myself as a Christian very well? 
30 minutes passes by and you're in the office and you again don't represent the Lord very well. And you go on through the day and multiple times through the day you've had a bad attitude, you've spoken to people harshly, you have said things that a Christian ought not say. Do you want the Lord to forgive you? Are you genuine in your repentance? Only you know that. And God knows that. But what about others who sin against us multiple times? Well, there's a parable for that. We're very briefly going to look through this section here. Let's begin with verse 23. We're going to go through verse 34 and reading it. Just notice a couple of things and then we'll bring our lesson together. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, before I read on, I want to stop on the 10,000 talents. A talent was a measure of weight. Depended upon whether it was a talent of gold or a talent of silver. The text here does not say. If it is a talent of gold, that is the equivalent of 20 years worth of labor. 20 years worth of labor. I want you to imagine those of you who are getting near retirement, maybe those who are retired, all that you've saved over 20 years of your life is one talent. Ten thousand talents. You can't even think of a number that big. That is an extreme number to try to illustrate. There's no way you can pay this back. Verse 25, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. The reality is fact, he can't pay this. More than he could ever pay. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. Now pause with me again. A hundred denarii. Daenerys was a day's wage. We're talking about a little bit over three months' salary. He's been forgiven of more than he could ever pay back. Here's a guy who owes him a little more than three months' salary. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. 
and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And the master was very angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. I don't think you need help to see the point. Obviously, the master is God. The servants are us. The one that was forgiven by the master of more than he could ever pay is me. And that's you. None of us has the ability to pay for our sins. And yet, many times, we are less willing to forgive small things than what God has done greatly for us. Learning forgiveness is tough. And I think the disciples realized that because right after the Lord had told them you had to forgive, here's what they said in verse 5 of Luke 17, and the apostles said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. We need to trust you more. We need to learn to be more like you. We want mercy. We want forgiveness. I do. God seeks an opportunity to forgive. I want to end with Psalms 86 and verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. Wouldn't it be nice if we were all kind and merciful, willing to forgive all who would call upon us? You see, the disciples heard the Lord teach this lesson, and we in turn learn the same lesson. Lord, help us learn to forgive. If you'll take your songbooks out, let's be prepared to sing this invitation song. It may be that you are not here as a child of God. You've never become a child of God. You can do that this morning by repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized, becoming a part of God's family, Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29. When you do that, all your sins are forgiven you. Slate is completely wiped clean. Acts 22, verse 16, And now while you're waiting, arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. One of the great privileges that you and I have as Christians is that we can come back and ask God to forgive us of those things that we have said, that we have done that are wrong. And we're told, according to Acts chapter 8 and verse 22, to repent therefore of this, your wickedness, and pray that the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. We repent and we pray.
If you need to respond to the Lord's call this morning, will you come while we stand, while we sing?